Tappers, what's up? We have a loaded Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap. I am very excited for this one. We are packed. This is as good as it gets, right? I don't know. Maybe this show we do 45. It's rare that I do 45 minutes on the Daily Tap. But we are jammed with content. I can't believe it. I just realized I have another topic that I want to talk about. So I'm like, whoa, topic overload. So here's what we're going to do. We'll break it down here pretty quick. We are going to do a little bit of Brewers. We're going to do a little bit of Bucks. We're going to do Building Murph's Draft Manifesto Offensive Line. After we're done with that, we're going to come back. We're going to talk Barry Alvarez. We're going to talk Orlando Arcia. And we'll talk a little bit about the Masters. So that is our show. You're like, wow, Charlie, are you really going to talk about all of that? Absolutely, I am. Is it very late in the evening? Yes, but I blame the Milwaukee Bucks for me having as much energy as I probably... <laughs> I probably don't need to have this much energy, but man, that was such a bad loss. Um, I Let's start, though, happy. Let's do... The happy first. Let's not get sad. Let's talk about the Brewers first. And the Brewers had a nice win tonight against the Chicago Cubs. They won 4 nothing. Freddie Peralta was excellent. He struck out eight batters. He only allowed one hit, did walk four, threw five innings. He had everything working. It was not just his fastball. He was throwing a variety of pitches. And he was truly terrific tonight. And this is the Freddie Peralta spring training hype that we all were maybe buying into or that we heard about. That we heard how good Freddie Peralta was in spring training and how it could transfer over to the big stage. And a lot of people were concerned that maybe Freddie Peralta wasn't a starter. Maybe he wasn't going to be at that level, that he wasn't going to reach starter potential and just sort of be a Brent Suda, right, who pitched later in this game and was awesome. He pitched three innings. He really kind of bridged the gap. The Brewers had used a lot of their bullpen, and the fact that Brent Suda went out there, three innings, one walk, two strikeouts. He pitched 41 pitches. Really awesome job by Brent Suter. Craig Council said, I consider it a save. I completely agree with the Brewers manager. It felt like a save for Brent Suter to sort of bridge that gap. And But back to Peralta, that's kind of what people thought Peralta might be. People thought Peralta might just be sort of this three or four, four inning guy at most. And he couldn't make it through five innings. Now, it's one game. You know, it's the classic. I don't want to overreact, but. But this is really encouraging stuff from Freddie Peralta. And something that I think we're going to have to pay attention to as the year sort of goes on. This Brewers offense, I, I know they only had five hits tonight. But I really would encourage you. I know you won't because it's hard to do and you guys don't have the time. But watch this game, actually, because the box score tells you five hits. And you're like, wow, five hits. Yeah, they got a home run from Travis Shaw. Yeah, they got a home run from Omar Navarez. By the way, Omar Navarez, man, he's feeling good, man. He, that was not a lie that Omar was sort of going to figure something out this year. So I'm gl- I think you should buy stock now. Classic John Rothsteinism there, but buy stock now, right now, for Narvaez and Travis Shaw with a big lefty lefty dong uh, for the mayor of Ding Dong City, 
who continues to impress in his early, you know, being back with the team. And But back to the hit stuff and back to, I think, all of us sort of concerned about this Brewer offense, just take this for what it's worth. The Brewers had so much hard contact in this game. The Brewers were hitting the ball. They were just hitting it right at guys. Like Vogelbach lashed a ball that went right at Javi Baez. It turned into a double play. Brewers were out of that inning. I think Colton Wong had a stinger that went right to Jason Hayward. So like... To be worried about this offense is still warranted, right? They they didn't show a ton over the weekend, and we're still not officially like, are we sure this is in 2020, the sequel here, with this Brewers offense? I do want to point out, like, the Cubs made a lot of nice defensive plays too, and the balls were hit right at them, but they were hit hard. So I'm not ready to just be like, all right, this offense can't do shit. And that five hits means nothing to me. I I really look at it and say, the Brewers had much more than five hits in this game. They just caught some bad luck. They were hit right at guys, hit into the shift. It's going to happen. It's modern day baseball. Here we go. So this was a nice win for the Milwaukee Brewers and a win that they desperately needed. They are now two and three on the young, young season. They will try to get back to 500 when they face Kyle Hendricks this afternoon. Kyle Hendricks is a thorn in the Brewer side. He pitches well at Wrigley. Now, he did struggle um, when Pittsburgh came to town last week. So maybe it's some early season struggles and the Brewers can jump on him. They have to get on Hendricks early, though. If they don't get on Hendricks early, it is curtains for Milwaukee. So let's hope they can get on the professor early and maybe have a chance at winning this series against Chicago, which would be a great lift for the Milwaukee, for Milwaukee and make them feel good with the Colton Wong reunion upcoming on Thursday afternoon in St. Louis. Let's move on, though, to the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks face the Golden State Warriors again without Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think a lot of people are maybe starting to worry about Giannis Antetokounmpo's knee he has some knee soreness. The same people that worried about Giannis Antetokounmpo's knee are the same people who are like, oh, the regular season, it doesn't matter. And it's like, guys, pick a lane. And I have I ragged about this when the Bucks really didn't have a good year at points of this season. But it, it really is emphasized with what do you want? The Bucks have been rolling without Giannis. They played really well against Sacramento they didn't really need him in that game and they were like all right let's roll out again let's see if we can do it without Giannis and for most of this game they they were okay they were up 10 points with four minutes to go they just completely fell apart in the final four minutes Steph Curry being on one 41 points six rebounds four assists I mean he was in another stratosphere and the Bucks allow way too many second opportunities. And you saw the lack of rebounding without Giannis, without P.J. Tucker. It really affected them. And they didn't have a guy to close out this game. They only needed one or two more buckets. And this game would have been over. But unfortunately for the Bucks, they let the Warriors creep back in. They got on a run late. And as a team who's struggled to close the door at times, they could not close the door against the Golden State Warriors. And that sucks. And that's a shitty feeling, and that's a shitty loss that they're going to have to wear, especially now that they're in their last game of their road trip against Dallas, who could not be hotter. Dallas is one of the hottest teams in basketball, 
And now they have to face Dallas on Thursday night. Dallas has been a bad matchup for the Bucks, really in the Rick Carlisle versus Mike Budenholzer era, I guess we could call it. It has not been a good matchup for the Bucks in in the past. Maybe it gets better here. Maybe they can figure some stuff out. Maybe Giannis comes back or maybe they rest him again and they wait for the Charlotte game or the Orlando game upcoming. But yeah, I think they're just taking it easy. They know they have a loaded schedule. They know that they have games upcoming against Philadelphia and Brooklyn. They want Giannis healthy for those games because even though they are regular season games and the people who said, oh, regular season doesn't matter, those games actually have significance. It's not just it's significant because it's the two best teams in the East. It's also significant because there could be playoff seeding on the line in both of those games. So you need Giannis healthy for those games. Games against Golden State, frankly, don't matter. I know we were, we can be mad about this loss. This loss can sting. But at the end of the day, it's not going to really affect the Bucs. They lost a half game. That's shitty. That sucks. They lost a full game to Philly. But, but it's not this like catastrophic defeat. If they lost this game with Giannis, it is a little bit more of like, uh. but I, I guess the only thing I'll take away where I'll worry a little bit is can these guys close out without Giannis? Like if Giannis gets in foul trouble or Giannis fouls out of a game early, can they close out without him? And I just don't know if Mike Budenholzer has that part of his arsenal figured out. Because it really looks like they need to be working through Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton and Pat Connaughton's taking shots. That just can't happen. That just cannot be your play down the stretch. And Milwaukee has to be better. And I, I haven't really been critical of Bud in a long time. But that's something Bud has to get better at. And he just cannot seem to figure out what that secret sauce is for the final couple minutes of the game with the Bucs, especially when Giannis is not out there. When Giannis is out there, I think their pick and roll stuff is really what they're doing. But it's, yeah, man, they got to get better in those really late game situations. Not necessarily the four minutes left, but in that one minute, 30 second stuff, they have to get better. So let's hope that Giannis is healthy. Let's hope he can be back for the game against Dallas. Uh, if not, let's we'll push it to Charlotte, right? Um, also, too, really quickly on the Bucks. I know I'm probably over my time limit that I set for myself. I was like, all right, do about five minutes per. I've done, eh, might have done five minutes. Uh, Jeff Teague, Je- is Jeff Teague something for this team? Like, I was not a fan of Jeff Teague. I, I think I wrote about it. I was like, I don't know how much sense this makes. I also don't know if Jeff Teague wants to play for Mike Buenholzer. That was false. And Jeff Teague looked really good in this game. He had 15 points. He was extremely efficient. He he got to the lane. He was making good passes. He was finding open jumpers. I know these bio, bio guys aren't supposed to be that special, so I'm not putting all my eggs in the Jeff Teague basket. But it was really nice to see Jeff Teague kind of control the second unit and do a really good job with them. So I'm very excited to watch Teague Portis Bryn Forbes when they're all together versus what Portis is on the you know the starters right now with Giannis being out. So excited to see what happens there. It's one again kind of similar with Peralta. It's one game. I'm not ready to anoint his ass. I'm not ready to call him the sixth man of the year. 
but I liked what I saw from Jeff Teague. And I did not expect to have many games where I was thinking, wow, Jeff Teague, pretty good in this one. So good on the Bucks. Why not good on the Bucks? So again, a tough one for Milwaukee, but they will bounce back. It is only a regular season game. And they have Dallas on Thursday evening. All right, you've waited long enough. Let's get into the draft manifesto, talking offensive linemen with Murph. It's a good one. I hope you guys enjoy it. Packers definitely could need some offensive linemen. And we talk about a lot of options for our Green Bay Packers. All right, another edition of Building Murph's Draft Manifesto, uh, offensive tackles. Murph and offensive guards, centers, the whole thing. The offensive Swing line, tackles. The hog mollies. Murph is in the building, as always, at Nolan Murphy on the socials. How are we doing? Chuck, I'm doing well. I'm excited to get into the trenches. The big boys here. Yeah, the, uh, the, the hosses. If we had Jade Garden to sponsor this uh, episode, it'd be really good. You know, offensive linemen love a good buffet. Were you more of a Jade Garden guy than an Asia Palace guy as an Eau Claire resident? I would have to probably lean uh, towards Jade Garden, I would say. <sighs> Not at all. Um, I would. I don't think we'll ever go to a buffet again. Do you? Maybe, I don't know. Are buffets? Are, will buffets ever be back? Taking your calls um, on the Progressive Hotline. Buffets canceled or not canceled? But anyways, yes, these guys are boys that can eat. Um, I think offensive line is a priority for the Packers. I don't know where I'd put it in the priority priority order. But with the David Bakhtiari injury, even though I think there is some optimism that maybe he could come back earlier than expected, um, you know. Injuries such as his are the ramp up. The recovery time has become quicker and quicker. As one guy going through an ACL injury, <laughs> me and Bakhtiari have not been in touch yet in our recovery, but I hope he's back before me yeah. uh, in terms of his timeline. Actually, that would be a nice tweet to send out to him. Be like, Dave, me and you, like, like ACL brothers. But he tore his ACL. Think about it, though. I mean, in December. You know, yeah, December 31st. Last practice before the end of the regular season. Yeah, so. it was awful way to end the year. It was like the last cherry on top of the shit Sunday. It was like hours that, before New Year's right. Eve. Yeah, it was, it was New Year's Eve. It was like 6 o'clock on. So yeah, it was terrible. But yeah, they're going to look at Bakhtiari. I don't know if they'll look to replace Corey Lindsley at center. I think they have what they need, whether it's Elton Jenkins, whether it's Lucas Patrick, whether it's Jake Hansen. I kind of think they have the center position figured out. I don't know... Who's on your board? Do you want to start with who your first guy is? Well, I just want to, as like a thesis on the offensive line. Yeah. I look at the Packers as having two cornerstones on the offensive line yeah. for the future in Jenkins and Bakhtiari. Right. The other three positions fall into, I would say, right tackle and interior. Yeah. I almost look at like the guard. If you draft a guard, he can probably end up playing center someday. Yeah. Um, so I'm hopeful for that. I agree with you with the Oregon kid, Jake Hansen, and we'll see. You know, with the rest of the bunch, Lucas Patrick, um, if they bring Lane Taylor back, yeah. very, you know, up in the air. But the Packers, if you look at their draft history, you know, complete flop in Derek Sherrod. Yeah, broke but that's femur. not even a fair. I mean, he, he broke his femur. Broke his femur. I mean, it was a freak injury. He was starting his rookie year. I mean, he wasn't a flop, but yes, yeah. he is a bust because he got Yeah, hurt. for sure. Absolutely. Brian Bullock works out. Perfect. I mean, very reliable, but that's where we're kind of picking is where we pick those two guys. Yeah. So I actually do think. We are going to look at offensive line in the first round. I've said that for, I think, a few months now, that I felt like an offensive line. I think what you'll hear a lot in my notes is flexibility. I, I think in every one of the guys I talk, I'm going to talk about, I think there is a flexible ability. So it's like, 
they could play tackle, but they also could play guard. Or, you know, maybe they are a tackle now, but they're they're going to be a guard in, in the pros, like a John Runyon type, right? Yeah. So I'll, I can kick us off. My first guy on my list is Alex Leatherwood. Uh, people see him more as a guard than a tackle, um, but he, he was Alabama's left tackle for three years. I feel like that's important to note, right? That helps. He protects Tua Tagovailoa and Mac Jones. And did pretty well. They didn't really have offensive line issues at Alabama. He can start right away. He can play multiple positions. I really like Leatherwood, especially if you're debating between Alabama guys, between him or Landon Dickerson. Interesting. So let's just go to Landon Dickerson right there. absolutely. He could probably be a day one all-pro if he's healthy. The only problem is he's had so many injuries. I mean, at Florida State, he was a day one starter as a true freshman for Jimbo Fisher. Has injuries there. Tears his ACL in the SEC Championship game last year. He's an interior guy. I love him a lot. I'm just very... That's a risky pick, I think, at the end of the first round. Now, he did a cartwheel at Alabama's Pro Day the (laughs) other day, like three months after tearing his ACL, which I was happy to see. Uh, Funny enough, would you... Is is Landon on there in in your... No, he's not. Too many injuries. Too many injuries. I just can't... I can't get... Especially in the first round... If he, if we're talking hypotheticals and say they don't draft a lineman in the first round and he's falling and he's there halfway through the second, would I trade up to get him? Yeah, maybe because then the value is there and then there is a real value piece to him. I should also have pointed this out before we got into the names. There is not a position I trust more with Brian Gunacus than offensive lineman. We've always drafted well, and, and really back to he's Ron been Wolf. a he's been a scout for a lineman for a while. I think he was the guy who picked out Bakhtiari. We're plug and play in the offensive line. Right. It's really never been a problem where we can't protect Farver Rogers. Right, and, and we transition away from guys Mike Wall, Mark Rivera, uh, you know Cliffy Tausch, Sitton, Sitton Lang, yeah. Always at the right time. Balaga got hurt, unfortunately, last year with the Chargers. We'll Corey Lindsley got, over, got yeah. overpaid. I mean, it, it, they they know what they're doing. Uh, my so, o- yeah, continue on your top five. Yeah, my other guy is uh, Travion Jenkins. Um, great size. Played a passing first offense at Oklahoma State. I don't know if he's going to be there at when the Packers pick. It, looking at the mock drafts, seems like he's going in the early 20s, but you never know. Um, the thing that's great about this draft for linemen is there are so many of them. So guys could fall. I mean... And we'll talk about guys we might not want to see, but I've like seen Panay Suel fall to like the 14th pick. That's great. Point. I mean, that means a five quarterback's right, got to go. Right? right, exactly. And so, but that's where a guy like Jenkins could potentially fall to where the Packers are picking. Great pass blocker. Um, he can also run block. I'm. I think he'd be a great pick for Green Bay in the first round. At what point are we talking about our boy for Whitewater? Is he on the board? He is Quinn, for me. How do you say Quinn Menertz? Menertz, yeah, he's not on my board, but I like him. I think he, I if if he gets drafted by the Packers in the second or third round, I'm not shaking my dick at it. Like I'm not going to be like great for the Big Jays. They can write oh, that story. Oh my god, the Big Jays would just calm themselves. Like this would that would be if you were to ask a journalist like what would be the ideal pick for the Packers, it would be that. That's like almost as good as a Watt brother. Like that's that's perfect. Like that is exactly what they're looking for. Another guy on my list is Jalen Mayfield from Ohio State. Um, guy feels like a Packer. Played in a you know spread style offense. Also played all over the offensive line. I'm here for a guy like that. I I also trust big schools with linemen. Jalen Mayfield on my list. Wrong part of the rivalry. He's from Michigan. Oh, he's from Michigan. Yeah, I love. But and, and to my, my po- no, that's all your fault. To your point, I'm going to come here and save you. Look at what we just did with Runyon. Yeah. How, how can you not watch tapes of Runyon and see Mayfield pop up? He's a big guy, 
played in the Big Ten. I think you have to go back to the well there, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah, I, I apologize to my uh, Michigan fans who are listening. Yeah, yeah, a lot are, of Michigan fans. Yeah, huge, we're huge in Ann Arbor. Um, but no, uh, Jalen Mayfield yeah, would be a great, great fit. Again, big program and Runyon, and I think you trust that. Like we've seen Notre Dame linemen, for example, Packers haven't got any Notre Dame linemen, but you've seen Notre Dame linemen. I know Liam Eichenberg is the guy that people have mentioned. He's not on my list, but because I kind of try to tier it as guys who draft in the first round, then guys second or third round, exactly, and later yeah. on. So I don't know if Eichenberg is on your list. I've seen some tape on him. He looks really special. Yeah, he's on my list. I hope he's there in the late. 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a, there was a lot of interest in the Chiefs potentially taking him before they shored up their offensive line. A couple reasons here. We're going to dive into the vault. He's a St. Ignatius kid from Cleveland right there. They produced LaCharles Bentley, a big Alex Boone, who beat the shit out of Packers D linemen for years for the 49ers. Also, Anthony Gonzalez, Oliver Luck from there. Jake Ryan, Brian Hoyer. This is the football school other than St. Edwards in Cleveland. Um, that's a private school. Yeah. Not, you know... Not taking any shots at Glenville, which is run by Ted, Ted Ginn Sr., but I think look at all the track record of these Notre Dame linemen for the last couple years. I mean, Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, these dudes are studs. Frank Reich t- spoke a couple weeks ago about Notre Dame's pro day and says, you just have to show up to see the offensive linemen. They're so impressive. So I think what Brian Kelly's done there for us to get a, you know, there's always been the, kind of that Dan Devine connection with the Packers yeah, and Notre no Dame. We've had a lot of great Notre Dame players over the years. Dorsey Levin. Tony Fisher Ryan. still works for, for the Packers. Tony he's, Fisher, God knows what he does. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what to... Oh, no, is he a strength coach? He's, no, he's in the, he does the community uh, oh, community outreach. No, no, no ill will on Tony Fisher, but... Yeah. I mean, Dorsey Levin's Ryan Grant probably come to, yeah. to light first. So, a couple other guys I did have. Um, Josh Myers, he's an Ohio State kid. He's a guard. Uh, Wyatt Davis. Wyatt Davis, uh, Willie Davis's grandson. I believe so. Here's an interesting one. Deontay Smith. Eastern, I, on my list. Eastern Carolina, four-year guy, also high school wrestler. So you dig into yeah. that Mike Daniels yeah. stuff. I Had love that. Had a great that. senior bowl. Uh, it was a guard in college, but they think he can play tackle. I, I'm so in on that Deontay Smith pick. Uh, Ulrich J- uh, Jackson. You know, it would be interesting to see. I think the Packers will take an offensive lineman in day one or day two. I, I, I would be pretty surprised if we don't add some – Potential day one starters there in day one or day two. Yeah, I I really think so. I the only the other guy that I had on my list that was down the list where it's more of a day three pick. It's a guy like James Hudson from uh, Cincinnati. His own blocker, uh, play you know good system, and more of a guard interior guy that you just add as as sort of depth and value. Um, so that those were my guys. Um, but yeah, I think you're going to have day one starter. I think there's someone in there that's going to start day one, or the expectation is that Billy Turner is going to be on the left side and whoever you're drafting is going to be on the right side or vice versa. And then at whenever Bakhtiari is healthy, it will be a competition between Turner and that guy for you know the right tackle position. And I'm, not, I'm really not concerned that the Packers didn't go out and get a tackle. Some people thought the Packers needed to get a tackle in free agency. And I was like, have you seen the draft? Like that just tells me you haven't done your research because I feel like not to sound like a snap, but like I feel like there's been a there's just so many good day one guys on in terms of the line and, and the line is more plug and play I think than almost any position in in the NFL in terms of guys that can start right away. Can we please with a day three pick pick Cole Van Lannen, the the Wisconsin Badger guy? Yeah, the Badgers all the time have guys that are in day three that that's we, a, that we miss out on all the that's time. That's a really good point. That. We're right down the road. Can we just take 
We have like five picks in day three between rounds four and seven. Right. Can we just take a Badger lineman? We've had so much good success right. with them. We have a lot of insight in them. Like, that guy doesn't need to start today, but he can start in two years. For sure. Um, you know, like, to your point, like, Rob Havenstein, now he's a day two pick. But great. He's been a starter for the Rams, I think, out the box. I think David Edwards is starting somewhere. Yeah, David Edwards. I mean, yeah. there's a ton of talent. Right. I mean, obviously, Ramchek was a freak of nature. We yeah. didn't see that coming. No. Only played there one year. Right. Under-recruited, but... No, yeah, he went to Stevens Point, and then I think he grew, and then he he went from Stevens Point to the Saint or uh, to Wisconsin, and then left after a year, and now and was now is the Saints' right tackle. He's been great for the Saints. Two year starter Cole was appeared in forty five games. Nothing makes me more mad than when I see Badger offensive linemen come off the board in late rounds, and I'm like, why do we need to pick that guy from you know Coastal Carolina? That's a flyer. Right. Like, let's pick somebody that we know can at least be a plug-and-play reserve lineman that we know is going to figure it out in the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. Um, in terms of, do you, do you still have guys to talk about? I'm good there. I think we do have to, like, this is an interesting one because it's not sexy quarterbacks, wide receivers. Who do we not want to see on a rival or the NFC it, North? Suell I mean, or Slater. Yeah. I mean, if Suell or Slater uh, drop and they go to, like, you know, a Viking, like the Viking. I always worry that the Vikings are someday going to just wake up and realize they need offensive linemen. 100%. And it's like, if they draft, like, say they draft for Sean Slater because he slips the kid out of Northwestern, who's very talented. Who's a freak. And you know that Goody and Mark Murphy have scouted well because of the Northwestern oh, yeah. connection. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a guy, if he gets into like 20, like, if it gets real bad for him, I could see them moving up past the Bears. 100%. And I do think if you're going to. This is more nitty-gritty about the draft, but if you're thinking where the Packers might move up, it's probably like 19, so you're past the Bears. Yeah. I think I, that's where you don't want the Bears to maybe take your pick. Well, the, if you look at the division, the Bears and Vikings are historically known for having miserable offensive lines. Yeah. They so, just they never they never address it. I never know why. And so if they actually figured it out and got like Swell or Slater, I'd be like, fuck. It's they're finally like actually making an investment on this offensive line. Doesn't Slater remind you of Works from a year ago? Yeah. Uh, out of Iowa, just yeah. a freak athlete yeah. that goes to Tampa. Yeah, Wirtz, and Wirtz started day one. And yeah. Wirtz, yeah, it was Wirtz. Wirtz, yeah. yeah. So he, I mean, yeah, that would be, those two guys I think would easily be the two linemen that worry me the most. I think if Eichenberg honestly went to a, a rival, I wouldn't be too happy about it because of what we talked about with Notre Dame and the pedigree and things like that. Is Penny Sewell, like, is he Jonathan Ogden, Joe Thomas? I mean, he's gotten a lot of hype. He opted out, which so, is very interesting. Opted out in 2020, but he's had hype for a year and a half about him as being this, like, decorated offensive yeah. line. I mean, everyone thought he would go, like, top five. And then now because of the quarterback run and him opting out, people are like, oh, he could go in, like, the 10 to 20. And if I'm, like, a team in that 10 to 20 range, like, if I'm the Giants, right, I, like, I am drafting this guy. Oh, like, he's okay. not going outside the top 10. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about that, but people would be crazy to... Like, right. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, he's just... He could be that good. I don't know if he's going to be that good, but I don't think it's as surefire of a lock as, like, a Quentin Nelson. Like, Quentin Nelson was like, he's going to be an all-pro forever. And it's going to be... And he has so, been. And he ha- yeah, he, ha- he's, he has been. He's going to be. I don't know if Swell's at that same level. And I feel like if he was... He would have stayed sticky in the sense of he some they would have had him mocked in that top ten no matter what. Yep. Like even if the quarterbacks were gonna go first, Swell would somehow be there. Well, I'm sure a lot of people have a good feel for him because they've watched Herbert tape. Yeah. And that's the last tape you actually have on Sewell. So I just think, and this is not like the Bengals aren't a rival, but 
I know Joe Burrow wants Jamar Chase because they had such a you know great yeah. run together. But if Joe Burrow doesn't want to blow his knee out again, he's probably going to need Penny Sewell because yeah, the I Bengals' th- offense. I, I don't like, know how he gets. I feel like five. someone has to get into a room with Joe and just like Zach Taylor or management and just say, Joe, we're going to get you a receiver. What about Terrence Marshall in the second round? It's a deep draft for receiver. Yeah, yeah. like. You gotta understand, like you need you need support here. Unless they think like an Eichenberg, if they're saying to themselves, "All right, we'll trade up and make sure that we're gonna get Eichenberg in the second round." If they got Chase and then Eichenberg, I think that would be okay. I wouldn't pick, um, but that's a risk. That's a total risk because yes, you, because you never know you, the you board ha- falls. Exactly, exactly. And then you have to overpay. I would not take Kyle Pitts over Sewell. No. No, uh, but I know there's some talk of that. Oh, I know. And, and uh, Kyle Pitts is a workout warrior, but he's still a tight end at the end of the day, and tight ends don't translate well from the first round. Yes, and and like uh, it's been driving me crazy because I've heard a lot of Kyle Pitts smoke because he had a really good pro day, and these pro days I think are like steroids at this point. Um, just because well, they're TV events now. Well, right, but it's also it's the pandemic, so there's not a lot of people there, and. I think everything's getting inflated, and now we have the combine after, which is super weird. There's going to be a combine, I guess. Oh, so there is? Yeah. Like after the draft? No, not after the draft. Like this week after the tournament's over. They're going to stay at the same hotel that oh, everybody... I, I, that's like unknown to me. Right. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe this. I was like, I didn't think this was happening. Well, the NFL doesn't think the pandemic ever started, so they No, really I mean, care. they're going full state. I mean, Goodell thinks they're going to be full fans. And, and Good fall. for him. So it'll be interesting. It's definitely a position... Um, that Chuck knows a lot about is playing. I don't know as much about, but it's, it's one that they're going to address hopefully early and often because yeah. we're going to need to protect Aaron Rodgers and we're going to need to protect Jordan Love someday. Oh, look at you. Look at you with the little nugget there at the end. I love it. All right. Well, that'll do us for offensive line. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, do all those. Follow Murph on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Or if you just don't want to hear my nonsense, you can just watch my reviews on, on Instagram. That's too. We're at 199. I don't know how it's possible. Just hanging at 199. When you hear us next, we will be talking defensive linemen. Can't wait. See ya. All right. Stay tuned for Friday where we will have Murph and I talk about the interior defensive line. Also... We could have Shea Ken on the show. I don't know if he will be here. He is in Hawaii. I have tried to do that. Like, Hawaii? I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm thinking like Afro Man, you know? Colt 45 and two zigzags. Baby, that's all we need. That was an amazing rendition. And if you guys are not jealous of my Afro Man, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but yeah, he's come back from Hawaii. So I don't know if he's going to be feeling it. If he is... We'll do it on Thursday. If not, I do want to talk to him. I, I think talking about Milwaukee DJing, and then I will kind of open the floor to sports topics he wants to discuss with me. Um, because why not, right? Like let's let's chop it up about the sports as well, and kind of what you're watching, what you're how you're feeling about different things. Um, so I'm I'm excited for it. Um, if he's if he's down, I'm down, and we'll tape that Thursday night, and we'll also add the draft manifesto with Murph. So that will kind of be. Let's move on to Barry Alvarez. Sorry. I, I know that sometimes I get too in the weeds, especially when I'm doing late night shows. Like I know a lot of you guys are going to be listening in the morning, but I'm taping this fucker very late at night. And so I'm like, my brain just does not fully function because no one's really supposed to be functioning this late at night. No one's supposed to be using this kind of brain power. But I'm sure Barry Alvarez had some late nights like this one. I'm sure he was in the coach's office all night. I'm sure he slept there. All the football guy stuff. Barry Alvarez now retired. He can go to his cabana 
and chill out, the Don, as some call him, of Wisconsin athletics is no longer uh, stepping down effective June 30th. And my big question from this, I wrote a little bit about this in Snow Tap WI about his unique place in Wisconsin sports history. But I, I, where I want to take the podcast is what do, what happens to Wisconsin now? What is Wisconsin in the next five years? And now I don't know who they'll hire. Um, rumor is Chris McIntosh is a favorite. Jamie Pollard, who used to work at Wisconsin, now works at Iowa State. His name has been brought up. It will be much more interesting in terms of Wisconsin's athletic future if Jamie Pollard gets the job. If Jamie Pollard gets the job, and I, and I'll I'll be honest, like going from Iowa State to Wisconsin is a huge step up. I'm sure it would pay you more, but you have Matt Campbell there who is coming back and Iowa State could be a national title team or at least damn close to it next year. And you just relaunched your basketball program. You've been going through now and probably another rebuilding with TJ Olsenberger, who's from Wisconsin, who would be a dead ringer for the Badger job if he does well at Iowa State, if Pollard were to be hired. But Pollard might want to stay because there's there are things to like at Iowa State right now. As the football team, like I mentioned, they could hire within and Chris McIntosh. Chris McIntosh would be a very Wisconsin hire. Wisconsin keeps it in the family maybe more than any program in America right now. I, I, I don't know. Is that a hyperbole? But like, think about it. They have stayed so close to their roots. It's amazing. Now, North Carolina just did this with Hubert Davis. But I still don't think North Carolina is as close as what Wisconsin does, both for football and for basketball. And so McIntosh would then be the obvious hire, former linebacker for Alvarez. He has been the assistant athletic director for a while. He now takes over and oversees everything. But what will that mean? Does McIntosh agree with what Paul Chris does as a head football coach? Now, I think Paul Chris can be a coach at Wisconsin for as long as he would like. He's had a very good career thus far. I think it would take multiple years of losing for people to start kind of opting out of Paul Chris. So I think Paul Chris is revered. I don't see Paul Chris leaving. The one that's interesting is Greg Gard. So Chris McIntosh, who knows what Gard and his relationship is. I'm sure a Badger friend of mine or a message board can tell you, oh yeah, they're tight, they hang out, they drink bourbon together, yada, yada. Still, you wonder if McIntosh's mind will wander if Wisconsin has another disappointing season next year, which by all accounts at this point, they are going to have one. They're, they don't have much back. And so it could be a real struggle for the Badgers, especially early in the season, especially the first few weeks of the year. And Wisconsin not being huge in the transfer portal, not really exposed to it after just seeing Baylor win a national championship doing that, you wonder if it's going to raise a lot of questions for a guy like McIntosh. And I, I don't know. I, I really don't. Like, I don't know what it would, how long it would need to go for Greg Gard before the team would part their separate ways. I think Gard holds a lot of respect at the university 
and I don't really see it being some sort of coup. But I feel like the job security isn't there uh, as much as for Greg Gard as it is for Paul Chris. Like I, I just think the Badgers have not necessarily lived up to what they did in 2014 and 2015. I know they got to a Sweet 16 then in 2017, but they have not been back to the Sweet 16 since uh, 2017. So that will be five years as of spring 2022, unless Wisconsin does get there. But it does seem like the Badgers will be going through a transitional phase. So I'm just curious to see if McIntosh might look at that and say, all right, well, I want to make my own stamp on Wisconsin hoops. And while everyone loves Greg Gard, while Greg Gard is as well-liked in the media as anyone, maybe we should look elsewhere. Maybe we should build out the Wisconsin brand. Maybe we should try something a little different. That's not what Bo Ryan, Greg Gard, Dick Bennett, like we should do something a little different. That to me would be a way to kind of imprint yourself. The other way would be if Paul Chris decides to leave for something like the NFL. I don't think he'd leave for another college job, but I also don't think Paul Chris's offense is at NFL levels. It used to be, but now given what the NFL does from a spread perspective, it's kind of antiquated. And, I, I, and it's good for the batters, but it, it's just not good enough for the NFL. So I don't think uh, McIntosh has to worry about Paul Chris leaving anytime soon. And, I, and we don't know if it'll be McIntosh. And if it's a non-Barry Alvarez guy or girl, it's a completely different ball, ball game. It is totally different. And we'll obviously talk about that whenever the white smoke emerges from Madison. Although is it black smoke? I should know this. I'm now a Catholic. But whenever there is a new Pope of Wisconsin athletics, we'll, uh, we'll definitely discuss that. All right, a couple more things, then we'll ride out here on this very long daily tap. Orlando Arcia traded to the Atlanta Braves for two pitchers. Um, Orlando Arcia getting dealt the fourth, fifth game of the season was pretty surprising. I, I don't know if it was something where the Milwaukee Brewers were trying to do this all spring and it just could not happen. So they decided to keep Arcia for a little bit. Arcia didn't really want to play third base and. They were more in on the idea of Travis Shaw than they were Arcia and knew that Arcia and Urias in the same lineup was just not going to get it done on most nights. So the Brewers made a deal. Now, some could say, well, what does this do from a depth perception, perspective, not perception, depth perception, right? Um, I I don't know. Uh, Right now, they're going with more pitching. Uh, Brad Boxberger was recalled. So Brad Boxberger, he had a good inning against the Cubs last night. Um, And so he right now is the guy. As someone pointed out this morning when I was looking through this, Derek Fisher and Jacob Nyenham are out of options. They're both on the IL. So you could easily add one of those guys to your roster And then that is your next bench guy. And Daniel Robinson will kind of be your utility third baseman. He might play a little second to give Colton Long some time off. Maybe a little shortstop. I think he's even played a little first base. And and he's not a great hitter, right? He's not a guy that's going to give you a bunch of power, but he's a good seven, seven hitter, eight hitter. And he's much more patient and he has a better approach at the plate. Now, Arcia probably has a better glove than Robinson, but he's at least available to sort of be that third base guy if Travis Shaw starts to struggle. Now, Travis Shaw 
kind of rewarded management by hitting a three-run home run uh, yesterday. And I think that was a kind of eye-opening thing because now it's like, all right, if this is Travis Shaw and we have 2018 Travis Shaw, it entirely changes everything. Now, and, and that could be part of this, right? Andy Haynes could be telling Brewer management saying like, look, Travis Shaw is back. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know anything about it, but Travis Shaw is back as sort of his old form. And what we're seeing is old Travis Shaw. And if that's the case, he's an everyday player. You don't need the platoon. Travis Shaw will be the guy moving forward. And so we'll we'll see. That'll be an interesting thing to monitor if the Brewers know a little more than we do, which always seems to be the case. And they do have some money now available. And if they were looking at a trade and maybe a guy like Keston Hira, they're not entirely sold on. And some team looks at him and says, all right, we can fix him. You know, Trevor Story is available. Trevor Story is in the last year of his deal. He's going to get a massive contract next year. Brewers probably wouldn't be able to afford him. But if you add Trevor Story, I said Travis, Trevor Story, sorry. Trevor Story to the Milwaukee Brewers and you have that guy in your lineup, you have that bat in Miller Park, a place where he's hit really well and a good defender. Wow, that could be really something special at that shortstop position. I also have the fever dream of Jose Ramirez. You guys know I've talked about that. But it's worth mentioning that Jose Ramirez also could potentially be available come the trade deadline. I think the package for Ramirez, since he has three years left on his deal, would be a little bigger than what you could get for Trevor Story. And we saw that the Rockies didn't give up much for Nolan Arenado, who wanted out. And I would imagine that Trevor Story would also want out of Colorado, just given the dumpster fire that is the Rockies. But we'll see. So we'll see if the Brewers make any big moves when it comes to their shortstop position. But yeah, I'm okay with Arcia being dealt. I think they have enough talent around there. And whenever Fisher or Nottingham or both are ready to come off the DL, I think they're going to be contributors. And I think your bench will be all right when when that happens. All right, let's wrap up the show with some master talk. I just want to do a little bit on the masters. You know, we talked golf for a little while on the show and then... As golf, you know, ran hot, it ran cold for a little while. Honda Classic, uh, the Texas Open, you'd have Spieth win that. I probably should have talked a little bit about that on when, on Monday's show. But you, you kind of didn't have as much entertainment and excitement as you did early on in the year. But now we are back. We are in the mix, and the Masters are this weekend. Looking at the odds right now to win the Masters... There are some interesting plays that I that stand out to me at this point. Now, do you take Jordan Spieth just as you ride the hot golfer? Now, Spieth could have been got at about 45 to 1, I don't know, three months ago. When he kind of started showing signs of emerging as a talent. And you could have grabbed that early. Now you only have 12 to 1 odds on him. But I think I like Jordan Spieth out of the top five like I look at Dustin Johnson Bryson DeChambeau Justin Thomas John Rahm they're all in that same category I I have to at least give Spieth some consideration I look at Kyle Morikawa at 28 to 1 and I absolutely love that I think that is a play for me without question I think Morikawa 28 to 1 perfect Daniel Berger 40 
40 to 1, another guy I really like that I'm really honing in on. I don't usually like to, when I'm doing, you know, outright bets, I don't exactly like to pair up two guys who have the same odds, but I also really like Cameron Smith at 40 to 1 as well. So I, I think both those guys are really sort of strong bets. I would definitely look at top 10s for those. Scotty Scheffler at 50 to 1 is not bad. I don't know. If Scotty Scheffler is there just yet to win a Masters, last year um, I had a big big wager on Abraham Answer, who I think at that point was 125 or 150 to one. He's 100 to one. Again, another guy I don't exactly hate it. Bubba Watson has been playing a little bit better golf at 66 to one. You have to at least consider it. Um, same with like a Ty Hatton at 50 to one. I, I don't exactly love it. But Ty Hatton's the type of guy who could win a major. He's never done it, but I could 100% see something like that. Another long shot that I, I really like, I actually like two really long, hot, big long shots in Francesco Melinari at 125 to 1 and Gary Woodland at 125 to 1. Gary Woodland's been playing a lot better golf, and he had a top 10 last week at the Texas Open. I would just take an, an eye or take a flyer on those guys. I think both are good enough to actually finish the deal too. I think when you're taking a flyer on somebody like, I like a Max Homa, right? Or a Matt Wolf. But I, I, you just think about it and you're like, back nine Sunday, can they do it? And I, and I don't think that's the case. Dylan Fertelli is another guy kind of interest, that interests me. South African golfers always seem to play well at Augusta. So those are some names that I, I like from an outright perspective. I like top 10 more than I like top 20. I know some people are more top 20 guys. Top 20 or top 10 interesting ones for that. Cam Smith, 270 like that. You know, that's that's not bad. Plus 270. Sergio, plus 300. Bubba, plus 350. Again, all those aren't terrible. Uh, investments. Abe answer four hundred four. You know four to one. Don't hate that. I think there are some. You know mon- there's money to be made, and you do have a lot of guys who are familiar with Augusta. Also, I love how um, I'm looking. Oh, this is top twenty first round. I, by the way, this is a real quick aside as we're talking. I hate 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 that Bovada does this where they have first round top twenty, first round top ten. You know, I always have the first round leader, which I know some people invest in. It's a lot of fun. I'm not, I feel like it's just so unpredictable. Um, but I hate that they do that because you look at it and you're like, oh, those are those are weird odds. And then you're like, oh, wait, it's just for one round of the tournament. Of course, that's why they are that, that way. So I whatever, it is what it is. But yeah, I, I look, I think it's going to be a really good tournament. I think there are a lot of guys who can win this tournament. I will not be surprised if it's Dustin Johnson again, back-to-back. He, he's been kind of lying in the weeds. Bryson DeChambeau, John Rahm. I, I'm trying to think, who would be, out of the guys who are in the sort of top tier, who would be surprising? I think Patrick Hanley would be surprising. I know he's played well here, but I, I don't know. I, he doesn't, again, another guy who I think about, down the stretch, but he is kind of a killer. I don't McElroy, I think, would be really surprising just given he's struggled. I think Xander Shoffley is basically Tony Finau. 
uh, redo. So I, again, another guy who I'd, I'd be a little surprised by. Finau another would be extremely surprising. Hovland I would be very surprised by. I think Webb Simpson would also be pretty surprising. So those would be kind of my like I would be stunned if that happens. But we will talk more about the Masters um, probably maybe a little on Friday's show and then definitely on Monday to wrap it up because I know it's a Wisconsin sports podcast. You're not here to talk about golf, but I do enjoy it. I think it's a great weekend. We are in a awesome time for sports. I was just thinking about it today that we really should have the Masters and then next week we should be doing the NBA playoffs, but we're not. We have about a month to go before the NBA playoffs so we are on bated breath there, and we'll just have to kind of have a dog day, eh, few few weeks, and then we get the NFL draft, Kentucky Derby, same weekend, and then we'll have the NBA playoffs two weeks after that. So not not too bad. We're almost there. The sports calendar is cooking, um, so look forward to that. All right, that does it for this very long daily tap. We will be back with Mitch Pratt and I tapping the keg tonight. Excited to talk to Mitchie. Uh, who stayed late night, up late night for Golden State, did not like us, my commentary about Mitch's late night status. So I think he's mad at me. It's okay. Uh, I will calm calm the waters there. But yes, Mitch, Mitchie late night was a thing last night. So good to, good to see Mitch uh, with us in the midnight hours. Hopefully he got enough sleep for the day job. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye.